Welcome to Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee, a podcast brought to you by the Tennessee Initiative for Perinatal Quality Care. TIPQC exists to improve health outcomes for mothers and infants in Tennessee through our quality collaborative that will identify opportunities to optimize maternal and infant outcomes across our state and is funded under a grant contract with the state of Tennessee. The Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee podcast is designed for medical professionals and for patients and families across the state. We will focus on all aspects of the perinatal period with special attention to reducing our maternal mortality rate. This podcast is brought to you through a cooperative agreement with the Alliance for Innovation on Maternal Health. Welcome to Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee podcast brought to you by the Tennessee Initiative for Perinatal Quality Care. I am Danielle Tate, a maternal fetal medicine specialist and the maternal medical director of TIPQC. Joining us today is Devin Bram, as well as Taylor Rose. Devin and Taylor, welcome to our show today. Thank you for having me. Uh, Devin, you came to the TIPQC simulation training in June 2022. This was the first time TIPQC had offered this training to EMS, so it was really a pilot project for us. We were so impressed by the EMS who attended. Tell me a little about you. How long have you been an EMS? So, as you stated, my name is Devin Brandom. I am a Tennessee State licensed paramedic. I work at a very small rural county funded ambulance service. We run just four trucks here, uh, six largest landmass county, very limited access to health care. I've been a paramedic since December of last year. Prior to that, I was an advanced emergency medical technician uh, for 10 years. Okay, great. And I'm not sure if you mentioned where are you located in the state? What area? So I work in Monroe County. It is about halfway between Knoxville and Chattanooga. Okay, great. So that county, is it a robust area for maternity care or is it an area that's maybe lower on the resource side for the state? I think overall, um, our region as a whole is very limited on access to peri and and postpartum emergency care. Uh, We have a local hospital here that does have labor and delivery services. However, it is not staffed full-time, so those doctors come in on an as-needed basis. And so for your service, you would have to then transport patients either to Chattanooga or Knoxville for higher level of care? That is correct. Most patients in this area either go to the University of Tennessee or to Fort Sanders Regional Medical Center for uh, labor and delivery services. And the training that TIPQC provided did cover training in obstetric emergency, especially outside of the hospital in the field for you. Can you share with us your thoughts about the training? So traditionally, I think OBGYN education is overall lacking in in my area of practice. Um, we, we touch on it a little bit, um, but it's one of those calls that you don't really run a lot of. So I think the focus on it kind of gets pushed down to a lower acuity. And so me attending TIPQC was an attempt to better educate myself and an attempt to be able to bring some of that education back and help my peers here at this service. But the training was fantastic overall. Some of the best that I've had in the particular specialty. The faculty for the training, I thought that it was a very much so a success, not only 
as we were able to provide the EMS staff with pearls to help with their daily life, but also being able to network with other EMS across the state and really teach each other and give each other wisdom as to how to approach things. What were your thoughts about just being able to interact with other EMS across the state? I really enjoyed the the networking aspect. Like I said, the, the faculty was great. I know you yourself are from the Memphis area. There were several doctors from uh, the Nashville area. There were some practitioners from, from Jackson. I think one of the gentlemen that was there works for a hospital-based EMS service, which is not seen very much on my end of the state um, as far as having hospital-based services. So they do things a lot different than what we do in my area, which is a, a county-funded service. And then there were several the people that were there from private EMS services, and they do things much different than than the other two do. So it was it was great to kind of see how everybody has developed their protocols that fit their particular areas. And I understand only weeks after you participated in that training in June of this year, you had a very much so relevant event happen. Can you tell us a little bit more about that day? We got called out. I believe it come out as a, as a fall. Dispatch information was was pretty limited as it usually is here. We arrived on scene. Uh, the patient's older daughters kind of met us at the door and, and directed us out to the patient. Her husband was with her at the time. The female was found lying left lateral recumbent in the kitchen floor, kind of halfway through the threshold into her bedroom. She was obtunded, unresponsive to all stimuli. The husband advised that they were kind of putting some things together, cleaning up the house, and he heard her fall, come in to find her how she was when when we were there. He advised that she was, I believe, 23 weeks pregnant at the time. Uh, First child, no real problems with her pregnancy up to that far. Uh, she had not been termed as, as high risk. Everything was you know, normal checkups, great prenatal care, was taking all of her medications as needed. All her checkups had been fine. So, you know, kind of go in to do my assessment on the patient and uh, try and talk to her. Don't get much response from her. Um, in fact, none deep, painful stimuli, try and get aroused out of her, and I could get a little bit of a groan from her, but nothing nothing like the response that I would have expected to to get. So me and my partner load her onto a a transport device just to get her out of the house. She's got a a deck on at either door, and it was pretty unstable, so we couldn't get our equipment into her, so we moved her out to that stretcher and uh, get her in the truck, start to do an assessment on her and check her out. Immediately picked up on the fact that she was pretty hypertensive, um, more than what I would expect. Um, I believe my initial set of vitals, she was somewhere in the 160s over 110s, 23 weeks pregnant, obtunded, you know, just kind of started going down that checklist and she was checking boxes pretty quickly um, that we were moving into into full-blown eclampsia at that point. Get some, you know, some accesses on her. I called the regional specialty center, uh, the high-risk OB for our area, which is the, the University of Tennessee. 
and uh, kind of advised them what I had at that point in time and kind of the, the, the progression that I wanted to take. Uh, they agreed. At that point, I started giving the patient some high-dose mag. I believe she had five grams over about 10 minutes. And uh, I put her on a on a drip after that, about two grams an hour. At the time, our protocols did not facilitate beta blockers or anything of that nature. Magnesium was kind of all we had at, at that time. So we just kind of went that route with her. Took about an hour and 10 minutes uh, to get there. We had a mechanical failure about two-thirds of the way to the hospital. Ended up having to call another service to come and, and finish out that transport for us. Wow, such an amazing story. And just listening to you recall it, I can tell the confidence that you had during that event and able to being able to think through and execute. How do you contribute what you experienced during the simulation training to you being able to execute so flawlessly the care of Taylor? I contribute a lot to the education that day. If nothing else, you know, it just kind of brings everything fresh and, and renews. Tip QC was really instrumental in bringing forth uh, the ACOG guidelines, which I think is what most OBGYN services kind of base all their care on at this point. So having that in mind, kind of, you know, I knew kind of the, the way um, that care needed to go and uh, the stages of progression that needed to be done and kind of knowing the, the severity of, of her condition at that point, I wanted to get the destination facility involved so that they were able to have all of those resources at hand once we were, we were able to arrive. And I think just kind of all of that culminated from the education that I got from, from TIPQC. That is so great to hear. And as I mentioned earlier, joining the conversation is Taylor. Welcome again. Do you mind sharing with us your experience? Thank you for having me. Looking back at it with my experience of that day, it looks a lot different than anyone else's just because I don't remember much of it. I don't remember going down. I barely remember the ride to the hospital. What I do remember is very traumatic in that I couldn't move. I, I could see and I could hear, but I couldn't move. I couldn't talk. I couldn't get across that something was wrong. And so having someone there that, that knew what he was doing and what was needed, I 100% agree that it saved my life that day. So she actually was born at 25 weeks and three days. My husband is actually with me and said that when he called it in and his panicness, he said 23 weeks, but she was 25 and three, 25 weeks and three days. But that experience, that experience at sorry, I'm having all, all the flashbacks from it. It's one of those things that I would never wish on anybody, but I am so glad that he conveniently had that training before that happened. Otherwise, I may not be here today. We are so glad to hear you and your daughter are doing well. Can you give us a little bit more of an update on how she's doing? Yes. So like I said before, she was born at 25 weeks and three days. I was actually on the ventilator when I got to the hospital. This is just what they've told me after I woke up. I was on the ventilator for about 15 hours. It was breathing for me. 
I wasn't supposed to wake up from the vent. They were very convinced that I was going to have brain damage. I was never going to be the same from the seizures that I had back to back to back. They took her via emergency C-section that night at 942, and she came out at one pound, 13 ounces, and she wasn't breathing. And so UT Medical Center took her to the NICU, and we spent 133 days in the NICU before we got to come home. In that time that we were there, we had lots of different diagnoses that she had. She has a grade four brain bleed. She has she had a PDA in her heart that was fixed at Vanderbilt with a coil and just other different hurdles that we had to get through to get her home. But when we brought her home on October 26th, she began thriving. I mean, she's 10 pounds, three ounces now, and she's just the happiest little baby I've ever seen. That's so great to hear. Oftentimes we in the medical professional world don't get the full story. You know, we do our part and then oftentimes other professionals will come in to take care of the patients. But just to hear your full circle story is an amazing one. Nothing short of a miracle. How have you been since this event, since that day? To be honest, recovery was hard. When I had the C-section, that was one of the biggest issues we had was I was actually diagnosed with COVID the Monday before I went down. And so after I woke up, the hospital was under, I was under COVID protocol, which meant my husband couldn't come in and see me. I couldn't go see our daughter in the NICU and I was in neuro ICU. And so I was, I was stuck. It was eight days before I got to see my daughter. And so it's, it's just kind of one of those things that. It's amazing to look back now and think how we made it through, if, if that makes any sense, because no one should ever have to see their, their child lying in the NICU fighting for her life. And in the middle of the recovery from the C-section, in the middle of trying to figure out if I had any extensive damage from the seizures, she got pneumonia. She became septic and we almost lost her in that first month of her life. And so recovery was very, very far from easy, but the strength came from knowing that I had a child that needed me and knowing that she was here despite the fact that she shouldn't have been. And so we were doing phenomenal compared to that day. (laughs) Again, just amazing news to hear. And I will say from a high-risk doctor standpoint, having that very early appropriate phenomenal treatment that Devin provided made the world of difference for both you and her. And so again, we appreciate you, Devin, and everything that you did. I know you're going to say this is just another day on the job, but it's much appreciated and you made the world of difference for both Taylor and her little baby girl. Taylor, do you have any advice or any pearls you would give to mothers in Tennessee just having gone through this experience, those who may have had similar or maybe uh, in the future Faced with similar situations? Advice is a hard one coming from a different standpoint. We we made so many friends when we were in the NICU. Obviously, when you spend four months in a place, you, you hear different stories and you see different things. And one of the biggest advices that I give to anyone that I come across, everybody's situation is different and everybody heals and deals with grief in a different way. And so the advice that I normally give is just you you have to own your story. You have to, as hard as it is to accept where you are in the moment, 
that's one of the biggest things that you have to do to get through it is accept where you are in the moment and use use your village, use the people that love you because it it makes a world of a difference to have that support around you, even if it's not family, even if it's say Devin. I mean, Devin has been a great support to me. Even after his his call of service came through, because like he told me in the very beginning, he normally doesn't get to see the flip side of it. And he has kept in touch with me. And that's been one of the biggest supports that we've had. He's checked on Elsie. He's he's asked how she's doing. And I, I can't express how grateful I am for his friendship. That's, uh, again, just wonderful news to hear and to be able to continue on the relationship I know Devin, and you can. I will give you the floor to speak to that. I'm sure that is just something that we don't get very often as healthcare providers to continue a relationship and have it grow into a friendship of sorts. And so I know that's a very special moment for you as well. Absolutely, as Taylor said, you know it's it's very rare, you know, in in our end that we get a follow up. Generally, our contact with with that patient is over. You know, once we once we transition care over to the hospital staff, I know lots of providers don't like to have the follow up. They just kind of leave it as work. And when you go on, I've always been a little different. You know, I'm kind of curious how things transition once I'm out of the picture. Admittedly, I didn't have high expectations for for either one of them, given how we were presenting in the truck. I gave. Pretty much at the, at the time I gave my, my full spectrum of medication to her with, with very minimal to no change in her condition. I talked to some providers that were, you know, that kind of took over after she was transitioned over, kind of picking up where we left off. Once, once she got there, she was still in an active seizure that they stated she was very not tonic clonic movement. It was, it was very, it was a very odd presentation of seizure activity. There was no active convulsions. She wasn't clubbed in or obtunded. There was no posturing. She was just like not there. That was that was kind of the best way that I could describe it. She got two doses of Ativan that was there, I think. Um, they gave her four milligrams overall. And then she was she was intubated at that point. She was unresponsive to those medications. And they performed an emergency cesarean in the trauma bay there. Both her and baby were intubated. Baby went upstairs. She went to neuro ICU for a while. And those first initial contacts that I had with the facility for follow up, the, you know, the prognosis was pretty grim. They very much did not expect Taylor to, to ever be extubated with intact neurological function. They thought she would be brain dead to, to some extent. And then the baby, she was outside that, you know, that real danger window, but 20, 25 weeks is still pretty young, very underdeveloped. So she had a, there was hope there, but still just the, just the fact that Taylor had went through that condition. So thus, you know, the baby had went through that condition for probably closer to two hours um, before they got intervention. I was worried about it, to be honest. So weeks later, I started to see activity that she was doing better and that she was awake and she had been discharged. And so I reached out on a social media platform, just kind of, Hey, I don't know if, you know, how much you remember about the event, if you know who I am, you know, but I was kind of the guy that was back there with you. I just wanted to see how you were doing. Um, and that just kind of set it off from there. And I think for the most part, I think me and her probably talk two to three times a week, four times a week. Um, on a, since that day, we've yet to, 
me and Taylor have met once. Um, I have yet to see the baby post-discharge, but very much looking forward to that once the opportunity presents itself. I think you'll be Uncle Devin soon if you're not already. It's definitely a more of a family moment there. Uh, just switching gears a little bit, you discuss the obstetric providers that you handed off Taylor to for further care. Can you speak a little bit more to that communication process as you were making your way to the hospital and even the importance of clear communication to the people that are ahead of you taking care of her in the hospital? So I was not the medic that transitioned care to the facility. As I say, we had gotten about two thirds of the way into that transport and we blew a tire on the interstate in our unit. So I immediately um, radioed for the county that we were in to send me an ALS unit. I continued care until they got there. And then care was handed over to that transporting medic who, you know, I gave her a brief report, Taylor's information, how she had presented, how I treated thus far, uh, the infusions I had going at that point and, you know, told her go to Bay 4, which is a, a trauma bay at, at the destination facility that they were, they were already waiting. They had been advised. So as far as handing over that care, I can't speak to that because I wasn't the one that had that interaction. I did speak to the medic that I had handed her over to that come and did that intercept. And she said that they had been really receptive, kind of on the same train of thought that, that I had been. And as stated, I had probably called about an hour and 15 minutes ahead of time and just kind of laid out, here's what we've got. Here's what we're doing. We're not progressing as I would like to progress, um, I think you need to, you know, have X, Y, Z in line to to progress. And, and luckily they heeded that and they were ready for her when, when she arrived. And as an obstetric provider, I'll tell you, I'm very sure that they were much appreciative of you communicating so that they could be prepared and not necessarily caught off guard with just her entering the hospital with no information. So that is amazing. I will ask you as well, from your perspective, what can we as obstetric providers do? How can we assist? How can we be of best service to you? Honestly, I think the the best thing that as from a provider standpoint uh, that can be done is to push the education. Like I said, as a whole, antepartum and postpartum emergencies don't get touched on very much in, in our continuing education side of things. There is no mandated requirement for hours in, in maternal and, and obstetric emergencies. So, you know, I know lots of, lots of services are still very much training their people that there's not a lot we can do for them. You know, it's not, we're limited resources here unless they're in active delivery. There's, there's not a lot of things um, that we can do. Something that, that I learned very quickly through the, the ACOG guidelines and through TIPQC is hypertension and preeclampsia, eclampsia type emergencies are, are treated very differently. They have a very similar presentation, but their, their treatment plans are completely different. Um, they need completely different things to get those managed and that education is severely lacking. So the, the best thing that the providers can do is to do some outreach, go to these services, push those protocols. This is, 
This is where your service needs to change. These are the things that you need to go into place. Just educate those providers because overall, I think I'm not even sure if, if I hadn't have took that class that I would have keyed in so much that she was eclamped at that point. And I think a lot of other providers would have had a hard time recognizing that she was eclamped and she was as critical as what she was. So that hands down, that's the biggest thing is to, to push the education. Show us what you want, what you expect. Teach us the, the recognition. That's the, that's the biggest thing is the recognition. If you can recognize what you're dealing with, then, you know, I think that muscle memory takes over and you'll be able to, to treat those conditions a lot better. And you just flying into it blind and just not having that education on the forefront. Since this event has happened, have you or your crew, your company made any changes to how you approach the care of a pregnant patient when you get the call? So after after the event happened, I was already in the process of rewriting the protocols for our service. So our preeclampsia and eclampsia protocols now mimic ACOG's standard 2AT. Um, we added those medications to make sure that we could meet those standards. At the time, like I said, high-dose magnesium was the only thing we carried. We had a beta blocker at the time. Metoprolol, it's not really recommended for antepartum. They don't like babies getting metoprolol. So we transitioned from metoprolol to labetalol so that we can align with that protocol. We have ordered now and are putting in place hydralazine as a backup to that. We, uh, we still carry high-dose magnesium. And um, like I said, those those progressions of those medications all fall directly in line with with ACOG standard, which allows us as a service to align with what those regional OBGYN services are already utilizing. So everybody's on the same page. We now have an annual training for OBGYN emergencies that is taught by Regional Perineal. It's another grant funded organization that goes through UT. They come out and do all of our antepartum, postpartum emergency training, just so that we're getting the training from the providers that we're transitioning care into so that just everybody's on the same page. That's uh, such great progress that you've made. And I'm so glad everyone was accepting of the change, given everything that had happened, even though it was successful, because I know sometimes we can be slow to change even in the face of events. Lastly, Devin, what advice would you give to other EMS units who are looking to make change or recognize the need for change within their unit? And maybe they don't know where to start or maybe they don't know how to approach the situation. What advice would you give them to be as successful as your team has been? So overall, change is kind of taboo in, in, in EMS. People get comfortable in a routine and they don't like the idea of being forced outside of that comfort zone. But Kind of my position is medicine changes, so you've got to change with it. You know, things that we were doing 10, 20 years ago, we're not doing anymore. Science has proved, medicine has proved that, you know, that we need to progress in our thinking, in our medications, in our medicine. We, we've got to progress with it to be able to, to meet the, the needs of, of these special populations. Our area of, of field here is not... It's not about us. It's not about your comfort level. It's not about what you want to do. It's we're a patient oriented field. 
our patients deserve the best care that we can give them. And all of that starts with, with the education. Best advice I can tell you is just never stop learning. If, if there's, if there's something that, that you're uncomfortable with, that's, that's the subject that you need to study the most. Thank you, Devin. And I want to thank you again for the exemplary work that you've done and being such a template and such a role model for us all on change and doing great care here in the state. So I thank you again for joining us and sharing your story and perspective on things. Taylor, I want to thank you so much for joining us and sharing your story. Very inspiring. We look forward to hearing from both of you on this journey as you guys continue the relationship and see how um, the little baby girl's doing and how you do. And uh, hopefully we can hear more great things from both of you in the future. I thank you again. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. Thank you for having us. Thank you for listening to this episode of Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee, presented by TipQC. TipQC is funded under a grant contract with the state of Tennessee. Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee is brought to you through a cooperative agreement with the Alliance for Innovation on Maternal Health. Do you have ideas for a future guest or topic, or even have a question you would like answered on upcoming episodes? Visit www.tipqc.org, that's T-I-P-Q-C.org, and click on podcast to submit suggestions and questions to our podcast team. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast to be the first to know when new episodes are available and find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube to stay in the loop with our active projects and other relevant news relating to perinatal health in Tennessee.